Did you ever stop to think about what arrangements keep this podcast going? You mean this podcast, Urban Arena, a podcast about just and sustainable cities? The very one. Well, sure. We need people to interview, we need ideas, hilarious scripts, of course, microphones, recorders, editing software, skills, thrills, and so on. Exactly. And all of these things are arranged through certain processes and interactions. For instance, the wider project that this podcast is a part of, the university where I work and where you were once a fellow, the skills we built up through whatever training we've had in our past. Ian, this is all very interesting, but what does it have to do with creating just and sustainable cities? Well, a colleague of ours, Sophia Silverton, a junior researcher with the University of Freiburg in Germany, is interested in a different type of arrangement. Tell me more. So she's interested in governance arrangements, or more specifically, governance arrangements for sustainable and just cities. So here, governance doesn't only refer to formal political actions like passing a law and so on, but also to dynamic processes and interactions between public, private and civil society actors. And she's gone round and she's looked at cases um, or initiatives that are focused on just and sustainable cities. And she's looked at what the patterns were um, related to governance, so the governance arrangements patterns that were helpful in allowing these initiatives to flourish, or in other cases, not. That sounds great. Did she, by chance, record discussions with people as she did this? Why, yes, Kate. Funny you should ask that. Yes. Yes, she did. Okay, so welcome to Isabel and Dennis. Thank you for for coming in to speak with me today and for lending your voices to the Urbana podcast. Right now in in our team, we're preparing for our third arena in March, which is all about governance for sustainable and just cities. And as Ian said in our introduction, the topic of governance is quite broad. So I'm really excited to have you two in our virtual studio to help focus the discussion a little bit and give our listeners some examples of governance for sustainable and just cities in action. I would like to start with the basics and get to know your initiative a little bit better. Maybe, Dennis, you could kick us off and tell me a little bit about Changing Cities. What's your story? Yeah, thank you for the invitation and thank you for the possibility to um, do this podcast here for the uh, Urbana project. Um, Changing Cities originated in the um, Berlin Bicycle Referendum Initiative, uh, which started some five years ago. And... We were aiming at that time to um, make cycling safe and comfortable for everybody in Berlin by actually using a uh, referendum approach for a new law, for the Berlin Bicycle Law, which uh, should make the administration build faster and better infrastructure for cycling. And Changing Cities was founded firstly as an institution uh, for donations for the Bicycle Referendum Initiative, but uh, always uh, with uh, having in mind that after any success of the Referendum Initiative, uh, we will have to keep track on the uh, results and also that it's not enough to... um, to reshape cities only for bicycles, but also to reshape cities for pedestrians, uh, to reshape it for a short distances, and uh, also to do this with a bottom-up approach. And so we define ourselves as a kind of network for different initiatives aiming for livable cities. And it's not only Berlin-based anymore, um, especially the Bicycle Referendum Initiative, like was in 
an example for now some 40, 45 initiatives all around Germany, uh, which also did a referendum approach in their cities to convince local governments to do more for bicycle infrastructure. Today, our, our actual campaign is for um, something we call Keats Blocks, which is um, actually an adaption of the Barcelona Superblock idea. Um, in Berlin, we have Keats's and we found or empower many little initiatives in all the little places in Berlin, which is also like a bottom-up participation approach. So this is um, our theory of change that we have to create many little islands to um, form a greater impact. But maybe uh, Isabel has something more to tell about. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for having us. I think what Dennis is trying to say and what I would also like to um, focus on is that changing cities is not only about the mobility transition, but what we realize is that the bicycle is a tool for us. It's a tool for change. But what we're actually tackling is that we want to transform our cities how they are at the moment. In Germany, we're, I mean, it's not only in Germany, but I guess Germany is very car-centric and um, because it's like the country of the automobile industry so far. And what we're trying to do is redistribute public space and also divide our cities um, in a fairer share and also more equally, you know, we have in Berlin, at least we have very wide streets, but it's like four car lanes and it's a not an existing or a very tiny bicycle path. And also um, the space for pedestrians is in some places very limited. And what we're trying to do is just change how the cities look like. We started off in Berlin it's really a movement that started and people who were maybe not so engaged with the topic before came together and it also made the topic accessible because mobility is really a topic for all. That's something, that's our holistic approach to just link, um, link mobility as a political topic in changing our, um, changing our city's look. Another topic Isabel just opened. Um, I think what we did is somehow re-radicalized all the uh, other organizations or many other organizations in Germany is that we, um, with the referendum initiatives, we politicized transport, transportation policy. Before it was like, you know, like you have technical rules and you have to execute them. Administration executes technical routes. But as we demanded like the redistribution of public space, we politicized transport policies. Thanks for that introduction. So maybe it's already clear by this point, but it'd be really great to spell out for our listeners the, the main ways in which changing cities takes issues of sustainability and justice together. In our opinion, the distribution of public space, we call it Flächengerechtigkeit. So it's like a, a just distribution of public space is also like a just representation of people. Right now we have a representation of more or less car owners or car users in public space. Um, there's a little bit for pedestrians, a little bit for the cyclists, a little bit for the um, 
public transport, but mainly public spaces occupied by cars. But not everybody has a car. Poorer people have less cars. Children, older pe elderly people, um, people without a driver's license, they cannot use cars. And they are all like pressed to the little bit left over to the to room that is left over by cars. And um, if you're not represented in the public space, you have a lack of democratic representation. All these groups, if we manage to give them more public space, it's a more democratic public space and which also lead to a more democratic society. Isabel, did you have any comment on that, on the intersection between sustainability and justice, as it's shown in your initiative? I mean, I used to grow up as a climate activist. So in my background, I was actually far more radical and blocking coal power plants and so on and so forth. And it was really interesting to come and to shift into this urban mindset. And what is interesting that on the one hand, it is very much, our movement is very much driven by sustainability and by change and by also linking to other groups. But um, having been in different activist backgrounds, I always experience that it's a more practical ap approach to be a cycling activist, maybe, or to be like a city changer activist. I feel it's more, um, it's more practical because it's also um, based on cooperation, on co-creation, also with different actors. You have to bring a lot of people together to conduct or to get through a mobility transition. You cannot do it on your own. You need different, you need different groups and like public authorities on different levels. And what is interesting is also, I think what you're aiming to is like different kind of groups that are engaged in this topic, right? There is a lot of interaction happening with other groups, but it also could be more diverse. It is like a strong coalition with, um, with groups from the climate justice movement, because it's like there's an obvious connection between mobility and, and climate. But I think there can be so much more, you know, we have like a lot of urban neighborhood initiatives, and I think we could also link it better for example, with the mobility, with the mobility topics. And I also feel that when we look at ourselves, and I, and I mean, this is like a critical point to take, it's also, we also could be more diverse in who we are as ourselves. And I would also say it's like a very particular group. And um, it's still a very homogeneous group. Yeah, that's also something interesting to touch upon. And I think it is also necessary for ourselves to um, to diversify and to reach out to other people in order to make this change really growing and um, getting, um, you know, becoming a wave or like having even more impact and having more um, having a bigger anchor in society. Yeah, that's really interesting that you bring that up because in the the last Urbana podcast there was talk about. The, the environmental movement being fairly dominated by white middle class groups. And so that's what I was hoping to get in with you into a bit with you guys today was was about what the changing cities movement looks like. You know, do you have people that fall outside of this description? Unfortunately, not so many. In the changing cities board, we're six people. We have a um, agenda equality there. 
but we have like three people who have a doctoral or post um, a postgrad degree. And I think we also, we are of course very white privileged middle class. And I think we still have a lot of work to do to reach out to other groups. And um, we're already doing, and I think we, we also made this our big goal for 2020 already, but to diversify and to reach out to maybe um, post-migrant groups or to, to just other groups in the, in the city. Because in the city of Berlin, it's a very vibrant city, a very diverse city, actually. And these communities, because it is such a big city, these communities are always very separate and they're not necessarily linked to this mobility topic. So I think it's always quite, quite a challenge or quite a thing to reach out to these groups and to translate maybe between these groups, not in a language sense, but also in a mindset, in the mindset that you always have to, you have to understand and you have to approach. A very nice example that I usually have, there's like, a, I'm also very engaged with some feminist groups around cycling. And there's, for example, a Turkish, a Turkish women group who also does empowerment around cycling. And I think they usually come from a different angle. And it's, it was also really interesting for me to understand um, what is empowerment for them. And um, But it's a really long process. So building trust, building relationships and understanding, and then also translating this again back into our Changing Cities cosmos, I think will take some time. Oh, I'm, I'm totally with, uh, with Isabel. Problem we are dealing also with is that our political counterpart has more or less the same homogeneity like we have. Like uh, if you uh, say like administrations, like parliaments, uh, but also um, think tanks and lobby groups for automobile and uh, fossil fuels, they're the same, you know, white, middle class, upper class people. So we could develop much more power if we acquire all these these diverse uh, backgrounds. Yeah, for sure. I mean, regarding the gender equality or regarding a, a gender balanced representation, we've already been pioneers. When it comes more to the lobby organizations, I think we already had an impact there. And I think it is really the representation for us that matters. It is not diversity just to have it like a nice add-on or looking good or something, because we we truly understand that if it's only a homogeneous group at the table making decisions, it can only be a homogeneous decision in the end. And when we're dealing with, with such a complex topic as cities and different needs and different perspectives, it's, it's important to have these different needs represented, to have them met in the end. And I think that's also the consequences from the cities we see at the moment. They're built in a very mono perspective um, in the regard to mobility. This somehow yeah closes the circle, like what I said in the very beginning about representation in public space. The, there's a vast amount of literature, especially um, from the uh, feminist urbanism uh, critique, starting in the uh, in the late seventies, which already criticized like the cities built today are built for male car driving commuters, and if you represent only this group, it's always the group who executes the power like 
in the uh, also in the society, the most powerful groups, the most privileged groups in society. So diversity, representation, so like two two sides of one coin. So what I'm gathering here is that it's really important to listen to, um, yeah, this diverse group of people and their needs when it comes to designing city spaces. But what's interesting is that I'm, I don't think this is a surprising point at all. It's not anything new, but from what we're talking about and from what I've been reading about, this lack of meaningful participation in city making remains a persistent problem. And so, yeah, it is an important theme within governance for sustainable and just cities. And I'm wondering, I was just, I was just thinking the other day, maybe this problem is rooted in different views of what could be considered meaningful or, or a successful participation process. So maybe there's a gap between what you at Changing Cities might consider a meaningful process and how perhaps the city of Berlin, when it's running its formal um, you know, citizen involvement initiatives, how, how they might see uh, a successful way of involving people. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on this idea. Maybe I start off because from the things you also summarized, there came one important thing that I want to mention here. Because when we drafted our campaign or when Dennis and all the others, they started off, they had in mind that they want to, they're not planning when it comes to cycling infrastructure. They didn't want to plan it for the people who are already cycling, but for the vast majority who is not cycling yet and to really understand also why they're not cycling, because that's also a problem of representation that comes up when um, when you're actually designing for someone who is not participate, participating in the, in the process. A meaningful participation or something that um, Changing Cities or the referendum movement revolutionized is the collecting of signatures in a really short time and way above the quorum. It is participation i think can at the one point be understand as like people giving their voice and make a really clear communication about what they're giving their vote to maybe also to come more to our current campaigns in the kids blocks or what we usually do is we try to work with the people living there and we try to bring them on board and so there are measures such as motions so people are asked again to give their vote and, and to participate. And then all these votes or signatures are collected and giving a, given again to the public authorities. So it is really an interactive process with the people involved. And I think that is a very crucial point because in Berlin, we also saw, saw cases where public authorities moved forward and they wanted to... Um, make the streets look nicer and they just brought in all their ideas but they simply forgot to ask the people and so the processes failed in the end and um, I think it is very it's very crucial to really interact and to really integrate um, the residents the people living there the citizens all the different I mean the people who are, who are the city and yeah I think that's that's what we're trying to do. But I'm really curious to hear Dennis' thoughts on this. Maybe I'd like to add one or two aspects. Um, Cleanlink Cities is not a participation company. We do not organize, like we, we not get paid. We're not getting paid for a for doing participation. 
there's different agencies in all these city reshaping processes. There's like um, NGOs like Changing Cities, like you know, we do agenda setting, we do it with the uh, referendum uh, 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 approaches, we do this with the funny actions, uh, and we try to get involved with other people. But then it comes to the administration. And in Berlin, we have the, um, in recent years, we have many, many, many approaches of participation organized by the administration, and most of them were crap. They were just like disorganized, and many of them failed because also they were done like, for example, they were done by the road building engineers yeah, and not by participation experts. So, and this is why they failed, why they cannot, it was impossible to include the needs of the people. And now we have some people of changing cities working on that, like we try to introduce um, or help administration to introduce other ways of participation, like representative participation, like going to the people and not only making like, you know, make a gathering of people and then you have some some sticky notes and people put them somewhere. In the end, somebody's coming with the camera and took, take photos and this is, okay, so we did, we, we made the participation. Yeah, so, yeah, check mark, exactly. <laughs> so, but um, I think this is, changing and this is uh, also changing cities to 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 force that uh, new approaches on participation could you tell me some examples maybe isabel of where citizen participation in city planning has actually prevented positive change towards more uh, sustainable or more equitable outcomes for example in berlin you always have a lot of people who are critical to your um, to change in general because they they like things how they are and then if they experience it differently then they can imagine. I um, I recently heard about school kids who were supposed to imagine a city without cars and they couldn't. So when they were when they were drawing, they were always cars because this is what they see and it's sometimes difficult to imagine something that you're not used to. At the end, um, for many also of the older participation processes, you have male people, uh, male white people uh, in their 50s till 70s. Um, they are the major group of going to those uh, gatherings. And so they are the only ones represented in the, uh, in the, in the results. Um, and the other group of people going there is people who might lose their privilege. For example, if we do this, something like that in Berlin, and the parking space is going to, uh, to vanish, yeah, you will have all the people with all with many, many, many arguments, um, and sometimes also very aggressive uh, to defend their parking places. So, and uh, you should do this, even though sometimes there will be results which will maybe we will not like also, but it's like the better way to convince people and it's like the better way to fulfill their needs in the city. We're uh, getting towards the end of our discussion here and I'd like to ask one final wrap-up question to both of you. And reflecting on what we've talked about today or anything else you might, that might come to mind, if you had the chance to speak with the mayor of Berlin, what would you say to them? Okay, so maybe a little bit of background story to our our mayor of Berlin. 
he has not really engaged in any mo mobility uh, mobility topics except when in his street where he lived they wanted to take away parking lots then he started a local initiative so that the parking lots can be kept in front of his house and i think that's a typical and the best example for not in my backyard um mindset and thank god we're approaching elections in 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 the fall and addressing the current mayor i would if i can phrase a really optimistic question i would really challenge his mindset on the mobility question and i would really like to get it into a future discussion because at the moment it is really really based into car centric thinking there is not even another thought about any other transport of mobility except maybe for public transport we have a really well built public transport system in berlin i don't know maybe dennis has a good a good idea how we can how we can shift his mindset but maybe that's um maybe that's already too late for the new mayor i think it is really to make Berlin the hub for future mobility and the future mobility, not in the sense that it's always talked at conferences, talking about hydrogen and all these things, but a people-centric future of mobility. I mean, we have our mobility law. We have our mobility law that's really prioritizing this. And this mobility law came into place because of us, because of the people power. And, but I really want this to be understand by the leaders because what we are currently lacking, and that would be my hope for the new mayor, what we're lacking in Germany is a leading figure as a mayor. It is a lot of movement from bottom up, but we don't have an Anne Hidalgo like they have in Paris. And we don't have a um, we don't have an Ada Calao as they have in Barcelona. These are we don't and maybe the next mayor can be one of these figures who is also standing for change and really implementing change so as you can see i'm more optimistic for the future than for the present uh, actually i already did talk to our mayor uh, during his last election campaign he um he started a bicycle tour uh in his uh, in the area where he was uh, the candidate Uh, about uh, some two months after we brought our 100,000 signatures to the administration. And then um, there were about uh, 15 to 20 people with their T-shirts, Volksentscheid Fahrrad, the bicycle referendum T-shirts, and about 10 other people. So um, he was surrounded by uh, by us. And one of our guys, uh, he was on a on a tandem, like a bicycle for two persons. And on the back seat, there was a skeleton sitting And we had a very good photographer with us, and uh, there are so many pictures. And I think ever Michael Müller, which is our mayor, he hates us ever since. But he's not running for office anymore. I'm uh, hoping to talk to to all the people who have a chance to be the next mayor uh, before the election, and I will tell them, everybody, every one of them, I will tell them, um, you can redistribute public space. And you can win election. And I think redistributing the public space and making the city fit for climate change and making the city more or less preventing climate change is one of the prerequisites to be elected. This is what I'm going to tell them.
I hope, as a board member, and uh, I think we're quite an important organization in the city as well uh, right now. I think um, it might be possible to get an appointment with every one of the yeah, maybe four possible candidates. I should think so as well. Well, I'd like to thank you both again for coming in. That was a good discussion. It covered a lot of ground. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Thank you. So we've just listened in now to uh, yeah Sophia talking about that really interesting changing cities initiative in Berlin. Um, yeah, what what were some of the things that you thought were most interesting? Certainly a very, very interesting podcast, and it touches upon some of the themes that we have previously uncovered in past episodes. Um, one of the issues that I was grappling with while I was listening to this podcast was, you know, she obviously talked about diversity being essential in creating any type of change um, when you're thinking about something as complex as a city because you need multiple people to share, you know, their needs, demands, to share their experiences. But something that I was thinking about is, you know, what if the people that you are wanting to design for are not interested in designing themselves because they don't even see a place for them to do any sort of impactful change. And so it's kind of like the chicken and the egg problem where you want to design for a person who doesn't feel the need to design because they've never seen themselves in that position in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there may be, maybe fundamentally it's about a question of how to draw people in, what sort of stakes you need at some level to get people engaged. Because if people don't feel like they have any ownership over their city or their country or whatever things are happening there, then why would they engage, right? It's just empty engagement. So I wonder like what, what, what are the sort of lowest levels? And that's why I thought it was interesting in terms of the idea of using petitions, right? Because petitions are really low, low, low level entry to like, you know, doing something you know so someone comes along says, okay I, I can give 30 seconds of my time to write down my name and you know and, and to say that I agree with something and to listen to about so maybe that's more than 30 seconds maybe that's a few minutes but at least you know that's something and then if if that actually brings about change and let's be honest most of the time that we sign petitions it doesn't bring about change but sometimes it does and if it does then that gets people wanting to be involved more seriously in bringing stuff about I mean a good case of this in Hungary which does relate to just and sustainable cities in, in some ways was a few years back when there was a group of um, activists in the city who didn't want Budapest to have the Olympic Games and mostly it was about it was like anti-corruption campaigning because they didn't want the government basically to give lots of contracts to their friends but there's also a question also about like cities and, and Olympic Games being like constantly constantly built and demolished and you know what what this what this means for for um, sustainability and so forth and what they managed to do because of of a governance arrangements in Hungary, which is if you collect enough p- names on a um, who say they want to have a referendum, then you're allowed to have a referendum. They managed to collect enough names saying they wanted this, and then so the government withdrew Budapest from the running for the Olympic Games. And I think they were down to the last five or maybe even the last three cities and then Budapest basically withdrew because they didn't want this government didn't want the the referendum to take place because they thought they would lose um so they just withdrew that case so that was super successful and after that then these people went and formed a political party i don't particularly like that political party but you know they've managed to they've managed to be a successful political party in the sense they now have meps and and, and so on and so actually it was it was a case of like really low level okay we want to change the city in a certain way and in this case it was like let's not have you know an Olympic Games here and then from that they really actually then managed to build in more people and have a wider movement that then became a political party so I think in terms of people feeling disempowered and disengaged maybe something like petitions is a really interesting way to you know to draw them in for the first time 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, I mean, it requires one minute of your time. So I think that's one one aspect that makes you more likely to participate. And then also it's just something very immediate. So instead of thinking about how do you increase mobility within a city, all these conceptual frameworks and topics, it's something very specific, like how should we deal with the Olympics coming to Budapest? I mean, that is something that I think most people have an opinion about. and They don't have to be experts on to you know voice their concerns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Do you know what else only takes just a few minutes of people's time? What? <laughs> That's getting in touch with us. There are a few different ways that people can get in touch with us, and you can check the show notes for that. I know Kate normally says that, but I'm saying that this week. But one of the other things you can do is actually leave us a voice recording uh, of what you think is a just and sustainable city. And you can do that in one minute or three minutes, uh, maybe maximum three minutes, but one minute is totally fine. And uh, we're interested in that because we like to play out the show with different listener submissions, basically um, people talking through how they imagine a just and sustainable city might be. And this month, we have a recording from the future. <laughs> really, we do. Um, so, I mean, the, the the submission comes in from a gentleman named Duncan Crowley, and I don't know where he is because it is the future, and he is, uh, I think, like a few decades down the road, and he sent us, he sent us a voice recording of what life is going to be like. Should we listen? Absolutely. Let's go. All right. Until next month, Kate. Bye. Bye. Life in the sustainable and just city begins with the dawn chorus, listening to the birds that live around the rivers, all the trees, all the fruit trees that that uh, are in this neighbourhood. Um, this is after the great transition happened in the last 30 years. Now in the year 2050, things are a lot better than they were back in those dark times of climate breakdown and climate emergency. Um, the change happened because... Normal people just said, we've had enough, we have to do something. And they found ways to start tr- just changing their own backyard, becoming part of their communities, reconnecting, uh, developing visions of what this future sustainable and just city would look like, and then actually taking concrete steps to make it all happen. Um, there was t- tough times, there was challenges, but people came together. The resilience that was shown was incredible. And people found that community is all it took all it took was to get to know your neighbours at all the different scales as well though so inspired by the tech mill process that came from Rojava out in Syria in those dark times uh, people started organising in assemblies using the sociocracy model uh, from the street, the block the neighbourhood and then into the municipality the wider city and the bioregion and that ability for people to participate in the construction of the future that they wanted, that was the key to making these sustainable and just cities. And it sparked and it grew everywhere. Um, the trees, the life came back so much. The birds, people watching the birds on their balconies, the Mr. and Mrs. Blackbird coming down and eating food, other little birds flying around. People were starting to eat the city, starting to eat the neighbourhoods, the fruit trees, the, the fisalis that were growing, the everything. People were involved in the political process. It went so much further than how it had been before with the, you vote this political party or that one, the ones that you, le- you least uh, dislike, to an actual process of people engaging with each other about the issues that they want to facilitate the change. It was a, it was a strange process, but it had to be done because... The alternative was the end of the human species. And once people realized that, it kicked in. The spiritual dimensions of that kicked in. 
and people found that they could solve the problems just by getting together and uh, working it all out together at all the different scales. This podcast is part of the three-year project Urbana, Urban Arenas for Sustainable and Just Cities. It was funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme.